Well, good morning, Pillar family, and uh, good morning to all of you guys online. Grateful. My name is Pastor Kanan. Um, this week, I spent a little bit of time thinking about toes. Y'all didn't expect to hear that this morning, huh? I was thinking about toes. None of y'all think about toes, do you? Toes are important. Toes are instrumental to a correct standing posture. Toes are crucial for balance. They bring an even distribution of your weight. Have you ever tried to walk without toes? The reality is you can't. You see, toes give you propulsion forward. You can stumble forward, but you can't, you can't really walk nor run with any real speed without your toes. On this? I'm recording. I'm good. Thank you. Yeah, we're the church that says turn the AC up in the middle of the sermon, so it's what it is once we get back to the AC, right? Toes are something that are underappreciated, undervalued, underseen, yet they're instrumental in your function and in your health. They operate under the cover of socks and shoes all the time. The only time we acknowledge toes is when they smell. Right. That's the only time you acknowledge them is when somebody's feet doesn't smell right. That's when we say, what's up with them toes. Right. But they're faithful. They show up every day to work. They don't hurt as much as those pesky knees. But we give knees so much more credit. We give knees so much more attention. But we forget to give we forget to praise God for toes. Something as simple as toes. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever experienced that thing on your body or in your body that you didn't know you needed until you didn't have it anymore? You ever break a finger, hurt, a, hurt that little joint in, in, in your back, and all of a sudden you realize just how important that little joint was, right? You ever got something in your eye that's so small, and all of a sudden you appreciated how valuable your, your sight was? But that's the reality I want to talk about this morning, the value of something that we didn't know we needed until we didn't have it. it there's an office in the church that is crucial to its health and flourishing. We talked about the office of elder. We talked about the role that members play. But one of the unsung heroes that is built to bring health to a local church is the office of deacon. Most of us have grew up in churches and never knew why there were some people in the church called deacons. Many of us have never heard a sermon about a deacon, what a deacon is, what a deacon does. So for two weeks, we're going to talk about what a deacon is, what a deacon does, how do we install deacons? This morning we're going to say we're going to talk about what does the word deacon mean? We're going to talk about why they were instituted in the first place, and we're going to talk about what the role of a deacon is. And then we're going to talk about next week what are the qualifications of a deacon and how do we institute deacons in our present day and age. We need to understand these things so that we know how the local church is supposed to operate. Because with an ignorance of these things, we assume the church is supposed to be doing things that the church isn't supposed to do, and the things that the church are supposed to be doing, they neglect to do. And so we need to be educated on what God has set up for us to function as a local church. And he put something in place called deacons. The local, uh, in the local church, the deacon is instrumental to the work and the ministry of the church. Let me rephrase that. I don't want to say it's instrumental. The deacon is irreplaceable and essential to the function of the, of the local church. To answer the first question, what does the term deacon mean? If you're a note taker, you can write notes on your, on your cross-reference sheet. The word for deacon is diakonos. It literally means servant or minister. 
That's what the word deacon means. It means servant or minister. Now, the word deacon can mean servant or minister in a generic sense, in a general way. It can mean a servant or a minister. But the scriptures give us room for a specific office, a specific call to a specific group of people to operate as official servants or ministers on behalf of the local church. Turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is going to illustrate and answer questions 2 and 3. Because we know what deacon means now. It means servant or minister. But Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7, we're going to learn why the deacons were instituted and what is the role of the deacon. Let me also say this. This morning's sermon is going to be short. So listen intently. I think it's going to be short. I'll be saying that be an hour and a half later. Acts chapter 6, look at verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 7. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in their daily distribution. Already just stop right there. This isn't a part of the sermon. Do y'all see the cultural beef going on already in the early church? The Hellenistic Jews got a beef with the Hebraic Jews. There's a cultural racial beef happening early on in the church. Somebody's being overlooked and feels underrepresented already. Dog, things ain't changed that much since the first century. So don't think this whole thing is new that we're seeing in the church and on the news and all these debates. It's just we got TV now. These things have been happening. They've been occurring anyway. It's when you read, read slow. You see stuff. Verse 2. The twelve, the apostles, summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it is not right, or it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom, he can, whom we can appoint to this duty. But, I will devote, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole company. So, those, uh, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pernamus, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Verse 6. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We're going to stop right there. What are we seeing in the text already? What do we see that's a common, uh, that is common, oh, there this sound. What are we seeing that's common in verse 1 and verse 7? Look at your text. What's, what's commonly spoken of in verse 1 and in verse 7? They increased. You notice that it starts off by saying the disciples increased, and then it ends the paragraph by saying they increased greatly, right? What's the idea? There's growth happening in the church, and when growth happens in the church, there's a need for hands. There's a need for the body to activate itself in order to operate properly. And then deacons were instituted as, one who, as ones or people who work with the apostles and elders as a tangible extension of their ministry to the people. Look what it says in verse 2 of Acts 6. 
It's that the apostles say this. They say it would not be right to give for us to give up preaching the word to wait on tables. Let's stop there and consider that. Firstly, understand this. When they say it's not right to give up the word, preaching of the word to wait on tables, it's not a derogatory slam on waiting on tables. Our culture has made that a derogatory slam. They're just saying something. We can't give up what God has called us to do to do something else. There needs, to be, there needs to be someone who can play a particular position that will allow us to do what we're called to do and they can do what they're called to do and then the body will function the way it's supposed to function. That's why I praise God for toes. They don't want to be my elbows. They don't want to be my shoulders. They want to play their position. And so don't the elders and the apostles of the early church. They want to do what only they can do. What God has called them to do. Ministry of the word, prayer, people. See what Satan would love for us to do. And this is a, a worldwide tool of Satan. He wants us to either be all word of God and no action in the streets. Or he wants us to be all action in the streets devoid of the word of God. Y'all ever notice that? You, you very seldom see them together. And then what our culture does is it comes to us, the body of Christ, and it says, you, elder, are supposed to be doing X, Y, Z. Is that what God has called the elder to do or be, though? You, church, are supposed to do X, Y, Z, but is that what God has called the church to do or be, though? We don't allow anybody anywhere to dictate what we believe nor what we do other than the scriptures themselves. We hold close to the book, and when we hold close to the book, we reverence its doctrine and we allow it to spur us on into action. We don't sit and pontificate about deuterocanonical books, pseudepigraphal books. We don't enjoy talking about the hypostatic union and the Granville Sharp rule and then lead the streets to burn. You do all that and then it spurs you to go act in the streets. But remember what Satan's plot is. Learn, study, learn. Academia, it, the streets don't matter. Or get up in them streets, serve, feed people, do all the good stuff. The word of God's okay. It's, just a, it's an inspiring book. But you really don't know what it says. No. The apostles see this early on. They don't neglect the need in their community, but they don't abandon what God has called them to do either. Both can be done. Both ought to be done. But it's only if we play our position. It's only if we stop allowing anybody other than God to tell us and dictate what we ought to do and how we ought to do it. Notice that the apostles don't compromise their position. What did they say in verse 4? They said, what we're going to do is devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Be that as it may, the needs of these Hellenistic Jews are still there. But they don't leave them to fry nor burn. The apostles appoint deacons to ensure that the tangible material needs of the church were being met. Look what they said in verse 3. This is what they said. Brothers, sisters, select from among you. From among who? You, right? The apostles are talking to the church, and it says select from among you guys. And here it's seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom that can do what? Whom we can appoint to this duty. This duty of what? This duty of serving the Hellenistic Jews, their portion. Because the apostles, and I don't care who you are, it's impossible to serve holistically by yourself. 
I can't serve any of you holistically by myself because it's God's design for me not to. When the world tells me I'm supposed to serve you holistically by myself and then I fail, you look at your leaders and you shame them for not living up to a standard that's impossible. And that's why we can't let them tell us anymore. We take an example from what the apostles have done. They saw a need, they didn't neglect it, they served by leading and gave instruction that what we need to do as believers is live out a body life together, select from among you people who can help serve in this particular need. They addressed it, they appointed it, they went after it, but they never abandoned their position. They played their role. What did they say they were going to do? Ministry of the word, prayer. We're going to lead you. And how am I leading you? Mount up. Get seven. We got some work to do. As I said before, when I did the, a sermon on church membership, we're not a country club. The church is not a country club where you pay the staff or the pastors to serve you. Okay, that's not the church. We're not here to serve you. Pastors and elders exist to equip you so that you can be the, the extension of God's work through your local church. Our job is to equip you to do the work. That's what the role, that's one, a part of the role of an elder. And we talked about that when we talked about elders. God's design for the local church is every member ministry. And so what the apostles did is they said, select some servants, some deacons, some ministers to handle this thing. But there are places where there's a need for people to lead those acts of service. Some service that needs to be done in the church and outside the church isn't as simple as I show up and I do on my own. Some service that needs to be done outside the church and in the church needs logistical planning. It needs something to be thought through. It needs a team to be built. And these systems and structures put in place. Thus is the role of the deacons. Have you ever volunteered somewhere? And once you got there, you realize how whack the organization was? Like you get there to serve a place, you're all excited, you brought two or three friends, we're going to do a good job and we're going to do a good thing. You show up, don't nobody know what they're talking about, know what they're doing. Right? You got, you got the random two people who are not affiliated with the organization trying to tell everybody what to do. You got that one dude who's doing the most because he wants everybody to see him serving the community, right? And he's all in the cameras and Instagram and everything, all the service you're doing. That man has his reward. All the while, the people in the place we came to serve suffers as a result. Oftentimes, that's an example of people not playing their position and trying to do more than they're capable nor designed to do. If me and Pastor Eric and Pastor Derek put together a service project to do on our own, you're going to be able to tell real quick that it was just us three. They're going to be like, so where are we going? Oh, I forgot to put the address. We got the tools for it? Oh, we don't forgot to get the tools. Can somebody bring some tools? It'll be that morning. That's not our role. But we got brothers, sisters, people here who are good with the logistics, good with the planning, good with the forethought, good with that stuff. You know what our job is to do? Mount them together. Hey, what do we need for this thing? I'm going to serve y'all as we figure out how to serve the people at large. The deacon, the office of the deacon, is the official representative 
of a local church to bring tangible solutions to logistical issues. That's what a deacon does. That's not all that they, a deacon does, but that's part of what they do. Notice what the text says in verse 1 and in verse 7. We said it earlier. It says they were increasing in number, and then it says that they were greatly increasing in number. How much increasing warrants the need for a deacon in a local church? Well, let's look at the history of the early church just before the deacons were commissioned. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, this is in your cross-reference sheet. It says, so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So they were already more numerous than 3,000. That day they get 3,000 people, right? Acts 4.4. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. That's just men. The number grew to about 5,000. Look what Acts 5 says. Luke don't gave up trying to give numbers. He says, the believers were added to the Lord and increasing in numbers, multitudes of both men and women. They're experiencing evangelistic explosion and growth. They're experiencing uh, people coming to faith, literally thousands upon thousands of people turning from their sin and trusting in Jesus for salvation. They're witnessing this right before their eyes. People are believing the good news of the gospel, that God, despite what you have done and who you are, has the power to save and redeem your soul. These people believed that news, that the blood of Jesus can make them right with God and one another again, and that by faith in Jesus, they can be saved from themselves, from Satan, from sin, and from God's wrath. You know what's funny? I say all those because it's true for all of those. Some of y'all's worst enemy is yourself. Yeah, you're influenced by things, but you hear somebody say something of you, and you internalize that, and you spiral yourself all the way down. That anybody up in here? Usually it's you Enneagram five cats. How do I know it's me? I'm that way. One criticism. And we choose to believe the non-thoughtful criticism of somebody over the truth of God's word about us. We start devaluing ourselves and ignoring what God has said about our value. It's so easy to believe lies when it comes out the mouth of people who we think have something to say. And that's why the first thing we go to, the first thing we listen to is the word of truth. What did God say about your, your value, your character, who you are, what you were built to do? He's the first one we hear. Everything else is secondary tertiary. We're not just saved from ourselves because now we have truth to combat the lies that we're believing. We're saved from Satan himself. We're saved from the, the, the consequences of sin. We're saved ultimately from God's wrath. This is what the blood of Christ does for those who trust in the name of Jesus. The text says that many came to trust in his name. That gospel that was preached then is the same gospel that has potency, potency now. If any of you have an inkling in your heart, if any of you are convinced that sin has separated you from God and from one another, if any of you have recognized and realized your need to be reconciled to God, if any of you have recognized that you've been worshiping the wrong God this whole time, and his name is filling your name in the blank, if you're at your wit's end and realize you need to yield control over to somebody 
with greater sight and power. If you are a person who's simply been asking God to make it more clear, make it make more sense to you, if you've been searching for truth and end up in all the wrong places, this gospel is for you. Notice the breadth of those categories. We all fit them. The gospel saves the saved as well as the unsaved. Because the Christian is prone to believing lies just like the person who doesn't believe in Jesus is prone to believing lies. And the gospel truth that we have value and that God loves us and that he gave his son to redeem us is for you as it is as much for them. And so you can believe this news is good. The gospel doesn't end when you come to faith. They knew that. They understood that. They worshiped. They, 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 they drew near to that. What do you do if that's you? What, is it, what, what do you do if you're one of those people who's at their wit's end, or you realize you've been worshiping the wrong God, or you've been asking God to bring clarity, or you know that your sin has separated you from God, or you have an inkling in your heart that you need to be closer to God? What do you do now if that's you? You turn from whatever it is you've been believing, and you trust in Jesus. You dive headlong into Jesus. For he died that you may live, and he rose from the dead to validate his power to save. It's simple. Speak to him. Simple. No magic sauce. Sorry if you thought it was going to be a special thing. You say in the heavens open, and boom, back to boom, boom. It might. But I'm just saying, talk to the creator. Ask him to take you. Literally. Lord, I don't even, I don't know. Just take over. Just take over. That was my prayer when the Lord redeemed me. I don't even know anymore. Just take me. I'm done with the resistance. I'm done with the fighting. Just take me. Tell him that you're, you want to relinquish the death grip you have in your own life. And you want to be changed from the inside out. Tell him that. Ask him to save your soul. Save you from yourself. Save you from your thoughts. Beg him, plead with him, be transparent with him. Ask him to redeem. He doesn't turn away any, any who comes to him. John 6. This is the gospel news that the apostles and elders shared with the people of the first century. Peter literally said, be saved from this corrupt generation. And that's what I'm calling you to do this morning, and I'm calling myself to do, is to be saved from this corrupt generation. Last night, I watched uh, uh, what's the, what's the, ABC News. I like to watch different kind of news stations from different points of view. And I'm watching this thing, and I couldn't help but think about what Peter said. Yo, this is a corrupt generation, because the amount of spin that our news stations put on everything is ridiculous. I mean, it's scary. Have you ever taken the time to watch two polar news stations on the same topic? The end of the world is coming. Everybody take cover. And then the next station is like, hey, everybody go outside and put your eyes directly on the sun. It's great. It might crash into us, but we'll be fine. It's like, what is happening? We're, we're so confused as a culture, as a people, as a generation. You want, <laughs> the reason why the culture is going down is because it believes itself. But the apostles are telling people, no, be saved from this corrupt generation. Be saved from the tyranny of living under other people's opinions and standards of you. Somebody need to hear that. Somebody here needs to be free from the tyranny of other people's opinions about you. 
Don't matter what they said. Is there something there where you want your parents to like you and all that? Yes. I'm not saying disregard all things from all people at all times ever. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the first opinion is the, is the scriptures. Everything else is sifted from that point on. Some of y'all are so insecure in yourself. You can be saved from insecurity because Jesus offers the ultimate security in him. You can be saved from this insatiable and never satisfying craving for sin and sinful actions. We can turn to Jesus for salvation because his blood is potent. His life was perfect. His bond, his word is bond and his love runs deep. That's the Jesus we can run to and that you can run to now, Christian or not. Run to him. Dead sprint to him. Don't care what anybody else thinks. If you want to praise God at the end of this message and you want to sing praises to him, don't look to the left or to the right if their hands are up. If you feel like you need to raise hands to praise your king, raise that mug. It's okay to praise his name with all of you. He wants all of you. A great number of these people believed that message. And they humbled themselves and they believed in the good news. Multitudes believed. Now in light of them believing the gospel, how many people according to our text in Acts chapter 6 verse 3 did the apostles appoint to serve the multitudes upon multitudes? How many people? Seven. Now let me ask you a question. How is it possible for seven people to serve thousands upon thousands in multitudes of people daily? First thing that popped in some of y'all's mind, well, the apostles, the apostles did it when Jesus multiplied bread. Well, Jesus ain't here multiplying bread, B. And ain't seven, there was 12 of them. And they didn't have to do it day after day. They did it once in one event, maybe two. This is day after day, seven people. Is that what was supposed to happen? No. You see, we read the text and we see that the apostles appointed seven people to the position of deacon to help serve the multitudes of people who have come to the faith. But there's nowhere in the text that makes it seem like there was only seven people serving. Part of the task of the deacon is to mount up the body at large so that they could serve the multitudes of people. It's a, logistical, it's a logistical problem that needs to be solved. And so the seven take charge and they serve by leading other people who are able to serve the multitudes. They put their minds together and they create systems and methods to accomplish tasks. It's funny, we read the text and we believe that they're so ancient. Oh, they wouldn't have figured out how to serve seven, you know, multitudes of people back then. But now, you know, we got Instagram and we got email. We can email the people and get them here on time. They were doing it without all that stuff. They were far more intellectual than we like to give them credit for. These are smart people. The deacon will create these systems and these methods to help serve people in the church and outside the church. If the elders' heart are compelled that we need to be involved in a particular area outside of the church for the good of the community, then the elders call upon the, the, the minds and the hearts of the deacons and we say, hey, how do we serve there? We have the heart, we have the word of God, we have the gospel to share, but we can't do that and logistically plan for this service. And so can you mount up together and figure out how to serve this hood? in these areas. 
But the deacon doesn't just create the systems, they serve in the systems. They work the systems themselves. They tweak the systems so that they continually get better. You know when you see really solid churches that have doctrinal fidelity, but they got all their people up in the street doing all kind of amazing work, sharing the gospel, serving people's needs. They just instituted what God said, have elders and have deacons. And let the deacons shine where they shine. Let them do what they do and get out of their way. They serve to the, under the, the direction of the elders, but the elders don't overbear and overstep in the logistics of that. That's not their role. Their job is ministry of the word and prayer because all the people serving are broken and all the people, the broken people are serving are broken. In come the broken elders to help shepherd and love the broken people. They serve side by side with people with a similar heart being designated and identified as spirit-filled believers who love people with their presence, their prayers, and their skill sets. Some of you have the heart of a deacon. Some of you in this room have the heart of a deacon. You desire to serve. You yearn to give. You are just built that way. You want to help. You want to put your hands on something and watch it and build it and watch it grow and watch people be beneficiaries of the work to the glory of God. You may in, in yourself have the heart of a deacon and you may have never even heard of the word before. And so I'm here to tell you what a deacon is, what a deacon does. Some of you are gifted in the area of finance. You're just good with numbers. And you wonder how it is can you serve God and the people of God with your gifting over numbers. There may be a place or a role for you. Some of you are handymen. Some of you are good with organizational skills. Some of y'all are just strong. Pick stuff up and put it down. There may be a role for you. You need to ask yourself, do I have the heart of a deacon? Now, we have not talked about the qualifications of one. You can have the heart, but if you're not qualified, you ain't qualified, B. So we'll talk about qualifications next week when we get back into a, some air conditioning, because next week we'll be at Walton Elementary. I'm so excited. I'm oh, sorry, Eric. I know you're supposed to announce it at the end. I got, it. I got juiced up. But as for this morning, what does deacon mean? It means servant. It means minister. It's an official extension of the ministry of the elders. That's what a deacon is. A deacon is the official extension of the ministry of the elders. Why were deacons instituted? Deacons were instituted to assist the elders in the work of the ministry. This is all Act 6. I didn't make up none of that. Y'all see this in Act 6. You just read it and you're like, oh, yeah, that's what they did. What's the, was and is the role of a deacon? I'm sorry. Why were they instituted to assist? What's their role? To bring and work tangible solutions to logistical issues concerning the local church and its community. If you have an inkling within your soul and feel like you have been called by God and gifted by God to serve in that capacity, you ought to let the elders know. Because as we talk about qualifications, it is something that you ought to aspire to do. God has called and gifted men and women to serve in the local church with their giftings to God's glory for the good of people in the role called deacon. And so I prayerfully ask you to consider within your heart, has God built you in such a way to serve in a particular role? Next week we'll see if God has built you that way, are you qualified to be in such a position? And so then, ask God to qualify your calling. 
Father, thank you for the brevity of the word this morning. And thank you for the unexpected gift of Walton Elementary next week. May we never forget the foundation that we were built on. The truth of the gospel, the teachings of the apostles, Jesus Christ being the very cornerstone. Lord, we may be leaving a particular location to go back to another, but in many ways we've built relationships with people who are around this place for the last six, seven months. And it would be a shame to abandon those things. Would you raise up men and women who will help us to keep a pulse and a serving hand out for those who may still be on this particular block, on this particular road, that need gospel truth and loving souls to serve them? And as we go back to a blessed place will we look for new opportunities to serve, new opportunities to shine forth the gospel in word and in deed. But would the two never be separate? Will we serve God through the ministry of the word with force, power, theological accuracy, precision? Would our people be hungry for the truth of the word? But would their feet be restless to serve? Would their hands be unsettled till they love a brother or sister tangibly? Would our people shine forth in both directions, being led by their elders, being served by their deacons, eating a steady diet of the word, and then serving through the strength that the word supplies in their community and in their local church? Would you build pillar to be one of those places where people might see the light of Christ through that, through that word and through that action. Would you build us a committed people, a faithful people, a people full of love and the spirit of God. Lead us in that direction, Lord. And lead us in that direction. We're grateful for you and we give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.